It's time for Truth, a ministry of Truth Family Bible Church in Middleton, Idaho. It's time for Truth exists to glorify God through the edification of His saints in our local church and for the benefit of the church around the world. I'm your host, Pastor Danny Steinmeier, and I am joined in studio with my friend and fellow elder at TFBC, Jim Berg. Greetings and welcome, friends, to another edition of It's Time for Truth, wherever you may be and whenever you may be listening. Thanks for making us part of your day. Now, while we offer, uh, we're offering to you our sincere greeting, I was struck recently just about how often in the New Testament the people in the churches are encouraged, even commanded, to greet one another. And our greeting is, is a sincere one. We we, we want to uh, uh, demonstrate our, our care and our affection for those who listen to us regularly, and especially who are those who are part of our church. Um, but it is a virtual greeting. The emphasis, though, in the New Testament is calling those who read the letter to greet one another, to say hello, to smile, to shake hands, hug, or as in the New Testament cultural context, it says, uh, give greet one another with a holy kiss. Probably, I think somewhat similar to the European uh, double kiss on the cheek. Uh, I, I recently watched Jim the uh, the finals. I, I watched the, the final game of the NBA finals. Uh, the only I think game I watched of that series. I'm not that interested. I'm, I'm just... sorry about that. <laughs> and uh, but the MVP uh, Nikola Jokic. Uh, he's a uh, really good player from Serbia. Uh, so he's a foreign born player. And um, his brothers and his family were at the game, and, and they do a lot of kissing of each other. Uh, uh, these grown men, uh, uh, they're kissing each other on the head and on the cheek all the time as they are celebrating and, and greeting one another after the game. And, and, and a greeting is it's just a demonstration of welcome, a joy in seeing each other. Uh, it's an expression of affection and of encouragement in being together. And one of the things that we are commanded to do in Scripture is, again, to greet one another. And four times in four different books, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and 1 Peter, they all say to greet one another with a holy kiss. Almost every book of the New Testament either contains a greeting, which would also have been virtual in the form of a letter, or it calls for greetings to be given in person, or it has both. And I think we underestimate the value of being together, and the encouragement that a greeting actually is. And so this is just a friendly reminder that greeting one another is an important role that you play in the body of Christ. It is important that we are bulldogmatic about making it to church at every opportunity because we all have a job to do. I think we underestimate the, the value that we bring to the church. Church is not just simply a spectator sport of we show up, We've, we've done our duty, we've heard the message, uh, we've participated in some measure by, of singing, but then I, I, I take off and that's all there is to it. That's what it means to go to church. But there's, there's value in, in greeting one another. And, and really, one of your number one jobs in the church, and one of the easiest things to do, is to greet one another. You can obey Scripture by coming to church and saying hi. 
and, and greeting one another. How are you? You know, um, listen and, and, and hear what other people have to say and what's going on in their lives. Those are really important things. And we learned during COVID, or maybe we didn't learn during COVID, but we should have learned during COVID how essential it is for the church to gather and for us to greet one another. Personal interaction, expressions of affection, and personal touch are really necessary for our health and a sense of love for each other. So I, I have an idea. It, this, is, uh, this is an opportunity for me to encourage you to apply this. I want everyone listening to purpose this coming Lord's Day and make an effort to do it at all the um, to, to do it as, as best as you can, but the, not just this week, but continuing on in the weeks after. But let's practice it this week. I'm going to pick a specific target for our church, and maybe you need to pick, if you're not part of Truth Family Bible Church, you need to pick a particular target at your church. Uh, but I'm going to pick a target. And I want to target the Cathy's. I want all of you listening uh, who attend TFBC to target Kathy Geib and Kathy Steinmeier. And I want you and your children, you and your spouse and your children, to search them out, form a line if you have to, and give them a greeting and give them a big hug. I think that would be a wonderful way to apply this podcast uh, to in a practical way to this upcoming Lord's Day. Greet them and many others as well. Don't just greet them. You can certainly greet other people, but we're going to target Kath- the Cathy's, and we're going to watch our, uh, our our blessing to them just be shown in a, in a really joyful way, and um, I think it's going to be great. So don't neglect your opportunity and your obligation, according to Scripture, to greet one another in the church. What do you think, Jim? What do you think of that idea? Oh, I'm laughing because there's going to be lines around Kathy and Kathy and... I'm waiting for you to ask me how I'm doing today, and my answer is going to be better than you on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I think they're going. To, I think they're going to appreciate it, and, and well, that's one of the things too that uh, that caused me to think about this a little bit more. Was even talking with uh, one of the Cathys uh, just about her joy in how the young people and the and the kids uh, come up and greet her, and uh, that's a normative thing. That's a good thing, and I want to put that on steroids for this upcoming. Oh, Sunday. it's fantastic, Danny. And we talk about living for eternity, and we have a small view of eternity. But the way God's designed us, and the way we will live in eternity, at home, this idea of home, and that's what church is. It's our it's our application of what it's going to look like in eternity today, and we get to practice that now versus being eternally separated from God in darkness and isolation and. Imagine being separated and not being able to use those senses, mm-hmm. not being able to use touch and look and feel. And it, it, it's tragic. But again, on the, the flip side, it's a beautiful picture of practice eternity today by greeting and loving each other. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah just because you're a church doesn't mean you're actually taking advantage of the opportunity that's right in front of you. Right. And, and so uh, could it be that Part of loving each other is greeting each other. Yeah. That's why it's commanded in the New Testament. I want you to pick somebody that's tactile defensive, though. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, I, I was, uh, I was strategic. Uh, yes, so uh, I was kind to others <laughs> by not uh, having them bombarded with people coming up and hugging them and they running out the door. Yeah, people are going to be avo- avoiding eye contact with Danny on Sunday. <laughs> Those that do not want to be hugged. <laughs> <laughs> right. Don't target me next time. Fantastic.
Well, that was free. Uh, there was no extra charge for that uh, introduction to the podcast today. Um, but after all of that, uh, yeah, Jim, we normally like to ask you, uh, what's on your mind? How are you doing today? Yeah, doing well. And um, we want to talk about current events. And uh, today we've got, I'll call them boycotts and protests. You know, I put both those things together. Um, are they biblical? Should we do them? Should we support them? Uh, many churches historically have stayed away from this. Um, they'll say, well, things like, well, we have to buy goods somewhere, or they'll go to that, love your neighbor and, you know, Jesus ate with sinners, things like that. And while those things are true, you know, we need to understand God's judgment and wrath is not saved for the end times, that big event it's happening now as we go through this. And so as his judgment comes on companies, the last thing we want to do is be in the, be in the way of God's judgment, if that Mm. makes any sense. And so it's a powerful thought. And so there is unequivocally a scriptural basis for this, not only in God's judgment, but even in our own stewardship as we think about that. And so um, we've got to take a stand against evil. Uh, It's the only stand we can take. And uh, the good news is that it's actually working. So um, I would say for the first time that I've been aware, even I would say the churches, but also I would just say conservatives in general, rallying around and doing it strategically, like You know, you can't pick everything and go after everything, uh, but you can go after certain things. And even even language, we've lost the language war. You know, we lost, quote unquote, lost the rainbow, for example, uh, to the to the gay pride. And we've lost other language words on, you know, things like marriage. Um, They think they're getting married. and, And I deny that. I think they're just getting a certificate because God designed marriage, not us. But this phrase of go woke and you go broke is sticking. Right. And so. We're actually now coming up with language to defend ourselves against, you know, these crazy ways that are out there. And so there's some great news that came out, I would say, in the past week. For example, uh, Daily Wire just came out um, on the 13th of June that U.S. companies, as they report earnings, are reporting ESG and DEI, which are both these woke initiatives. They're mentioning it 30% less on their earnings calls. And so... You, that that's all intentional. Those earnings calls are well scripted. And so they're beginning to see the backlash of this and they're being much more strategic. Now that doesn't mean they're, they're changing who they are. It doesn't mean they're changing their stripes. Um, but the reality is, is when you bring light to it, all of a sudden that darkness starts hiding and that's a good thing. Um, the, the most pronounced one I think is the Bud Light one where, um, they have now officially as of yesterday been dethroned by Modelo as the number one best-selling beer brand in the United States. So um, they obviously supported this transgender, Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, It backfired, and their sales are down 24% year over year. So that's a a beautiful picture. Not something that I struggled with. I've never drank Bud Light to begin with, but I'm not going to buy anything Anheuser-Busch related to that. And so that's a beautiful picture. And then the other one is Target. Target's a fantastic one that just came out. they have lost 13 to $15 billion in market value. So that's 25% of their company value, uh, not based on anything earnings related yet, but the anticipation that people are now boycotting uh, Target. So, and it shows up even Fox News. You know, we think about Fox News, who is all of a sudden supporting things that are LGBTQ related. Well, they were overtaken recently by MSNBC. And well, that's not a great thing, MSNBC is clearly more woke than Fox, there are consequences to your decision. 
Meanwhile, Tucker, who left Fox, and so while he was at Fox, it was the number one show. You know, so um, MSNBC is 1.52 million viewers. Fox is down to 1.5, so they've fallen behind. When he when Tucker was at Fox, it was 3.3 million. Well, he's now on Twitter, and, and keep these numbers in mind, 3.3 million when he was at Fox. His first episode on Twitter is 150 million viewers. And his second episode is 55 million. I mean, those are just astonishing numbers. And so, you know, we're not alone. There's hope. Um, we need to support and ban and work together on these things and, and know that uh, we can make an impact on the world and uh, really important for us to do. And then even yesterday, Starbucks was ordered to pay $26 million to a manager that they fired back in 2018. It was in the Philadelphia area. There were two black men that were kicked out by the manager and he, he or she, I'm trying to remember, was fired she. for being white. And so there's a huge settlement where that was clearly discriminatory against her for her color. And uh, the court gave her $25.6 million. So praise God. No, these are interesting uh, topics. Actually, uh, just uh, something that just gave me a chuckle this week. You know, um, Garth Brooks and, you know, one of the country music stars and icons and he was opening a uh i don't know if it's a restaurant and bar and uh he said that he's going to serve all beer including uh bud light and the babylon Bee uh roasted him with uh garth brooks opens gay bar <laughs> i just thought it was funny uh well and garth even came out with comments against anyone that boycotts he said if you're boycotting you're wrong i mean he's yeah it's it's so. well I think this is an interesting topic, and I've covered it before in some of my uh, teaching when we were in First Corinthians. I'll reference it here in just a minute, but just uh, just commenting on some of the things that you brought forward, um, Jim, is you know I've I'm old enough now to uh, to have known about um, Christians attempting to try to boycott throughout my lifetime. Uh, Disney's been boycotted a lot of times before. Target's been boycotted, or at least people wanted it to be boycotted. I certainly did when they did that. The bathroom thing we talked about yeah, that. We I haven't think gone before. there in years. Uh, uh, they they did the whole um, transgender bathroom thing t ten years ago. Yeah, it's been I think it was at least ten years. Ten ago, years, maybe ago. even longer. Yeah, and it's it's been a while. And and so one of the things though that we see in a lot of um, <laughs> a lot of Christianity is that Christians don't tend to be very united in boycotts. Uh, or have such short memories that they kind of get over it real quickly. And so what happens is, is that these these companies know they're going to weather a storm, uh, or the, a storm is going to be coming, but they assume, and historically it has been, short-lived. It doesn't last very long. So they take a little bit of a hit in the short run, but ultimately people come back and their earnings uh, increase and they go back to normal. And so what I'm uh, what I'm hoping for is that um, we have more momentum and movement now. That people, one of the reasons why it's certainly valuable and and we should be able to do have more influence in these things now is because we have so many choices. You don't have to drink Bud Light, right? You can drink Modelo. Right. Uh, there, there's plenty of other options, and uh, and it's not like Bud Light. Apparently, not that I'm a beer connoisseur by any stretch. But it's not like Bud Light is is your high end. Uh, it's the best that's out, that's out there. It's best that anybody has to offer. Uh, Target, similarly, there's other places to shop. You don't ha you're not stuck with Target, and so uh, by all means, uh, use your dollars to uh, have an impact and an influence 
where your money goes and, and how that is is contributing to culture and the economy as well. Uh, and so it just reminds us that we ought to be willing to change our lifestyle. Some people watch the news very regularly and they're willing to say, I'm not going to watch Fox anymore because of the way Fox does. Change your lifestyle, be willing to make different decisions and look in different places. Um, it, now, to, you already acknowledged, Jim, that the reality of uh, living in a sinful world, living in a, a country like ours, that you can't boycott everyone and everything. Because the reality is <laughs> there's reason to boycott everyone. Right. There's always something. You can boycott your Apple iPhone because of it's being made by you know, kids in Cambodia or whatever, you know, China and yep. the abuses of China. You can find reasons to boycott everything. The, the idea here, though, is that we're seeking to be strategic and, and trying to come together to apply pressure when we are being assaulted. Because what we don't realize, especially as Christians, we don't realize that we are at war. There is a war going on. And we don't want to have a wartime mentality. We don't want to be feeling like there's a conflict and I'm, I'm making discriminatory choices. Well, we got to get over that. And we got to get used to thinking uh, the, of, the, of the reality that Scripture identifies is that we are in a spiritual battle. We are in spiritual warfare. And that has practical implications for where we spend our money and, and where we shop. Um, that being said, it, it, is, it is a good thing to seek to have influence and to the extent that we can support good companies and avoid giving our money to bad ones, we should do our best. But we just also need to know that it will always be imperfect, and we don't need to feel guilty over everything. Right. So uh, it, it's it's really important that we uh, recognize, and, and, and just a scriptural explanation of that too, is the uh, situation in the New Testament of meat sacrificed to idols. When you would go to the market, and there would be one market that you would go to. And in the market, uh, some of the meat, if not most of the meat, perhaps even all of the meat, would have been first offered to a false god. And certainly some would have had a conscience issue with that. But Paul's point is that the, the, the false god is not a thing, meaning it did not have any effect on the meat. The meat is still meat. It's still regular meat. And it, it touched, though, a system of religion and a culture that was corrupt and godless and God-hating. And so there certainly was a, but there was also freedom to go buy that meat. You didn't have to feel guilty for eating meat and become a vegetarian because perhaps the vegetables may have also been <laughs> sacrificed as well. But the idea here is that you didn't have to feel guilty about everything, yet there were certain things you did need to care about. You, you did need to, you, you did have to care about your brother and his conscience and those types of things. And we we need to keep those things in mind today as well. Uh, you can't boycott everything, but still the idea of, uh, I think your first point, Jim, of uh, God is judging now a Romans 1 kind of judgment as he turns people over. And we ought to be mindful about not supporting the things that would be seeking to um, uh, avoid God's judgment without repenting and changing. And so we want to be on the Lord's side in these uh, decisions. And if we can have influence, hey, let's let's have it. Let's yeah, take it. and I, you know, lastly, I think because it's a spiritual war, we have to recognize that on their side, this only gets worse. You know, we know in yeah. James that sin leads to death, and that's ultimately where it's going. So um, this week, our White House, our president, announced a new effort to combat these banned books initiatives that are going on. Um, 
and and all of that is designed around protecting LGBTQ books. It's all around. It, it happened during Pride Month, so it's not a surprise. So they announced the uh, appo- appointment of an anti-book ban coordinator, which should be called the Porn Enforcer, because the reality is, is it's a it's an evil movement. These same books that they're looking to protect, when read out loud at school board meetings or or in front of Congress, the videos are shut off because of the depravity the of the words and the images that they're representing. And so, once again, they don't want this to come out into the light. And I think that's, we, we've got to be strategic, but when it comes to our children, which is the next place they are going, people, they're going after our children. We need to be very frontal. We need to be very forward. We need to be very aggressive in our position against evil. Yep, that's absolutely so. true. Well, these are things to be mindful about and prayerful about uh, as we continue to see the advance of the kingdom of darkness. And uh, we we have confidence, though, that the kingdom of our uh, God and Savior uh, will overcome. And uh, they are, again, it's judgment is is not something that they are going to avoid. Uh, it will either fall on Christ as they repent and and receive forgiveness, uh, or it will fall on their own heads. Yeah, and, and bringing it, you know, we, we've talked about this at church. We've prayed about this at church. This is this is real at our church. This is real in the Treasure Valley. This is real in Boise. You know, we're praying for Jesse. We're praying for Jack as they face this mm-hmm. real time right now. And so, you know, we need to be ready to stand in support of our brothers. That's right. Well, good. Well, thank you for uh, this uh, discussion of contemporary issues and current topics. We want to return now to our study of the doctrines of grace. And we come to the final letter in our TULIP acrostic. And that is, uh, of course, the letter P, which stands for the perseverance of the saints. If total depravity is the key to understanding the other doctrines, if unconditional election is the most controversial of the doctrines, if limited atonement is the most rejected of the doctrines, and if irresistible grace is the most forgotten or neglected of the doctrines, then perseverance of the saints is the most encouraging and even sometimes discouraging of the doctrines of grace, and we'll explain as we go along. So as we begin in this topic for today, like many of the other doctrines, this doctrine does have an alternate name that some prefer, and that is the preservation of the saints. Now, I don't think that title for this doctrine helps or clarifies anything at all if you replace the name of perseverance. If you want to be helpful, I think what you need to do is you need to have both names together. The first title, The Perseverance of the Saints, communicates that Scripture teaches genuine believers overcome trials. They overcome sin and persecution. True believers must remain faithful they progress in their sanctification, they continue in good works, they remain in the church, and they love the brethren, and they maintain an orthodox belief. Believers persevere in the faith to the end of their lives or until Christ returns. That is the overarching teaching of the doctrine. It emphasizes our responsibility in following Christ. But the title preservation of the saints is actually the same doctrine, but it looks at it from the divine perspective. I like the P representing both preservation and perseverance. And so we we persevere in the faith as we walk with the Lord in obedience and truth. But why do we do that? Or 
How do we do that? The answer is that God is the one who is doing that work in us by the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is keeping us. He is the one who is preserving and protecting us. If God simply saved us by grace alone, but then left us to ourselves to endure safely to the end without the continuing work of grace in our lives, every one of us, Jim, would fall away and make shipwreck of our lives. If it is not the continuing of grace and the continuing of the work of the Holy Spirit, we would all fall away. Perseverance and preservations, preservation are two sides of the same coin. We persevere in the faith, but that is the evidence that we are being preserved and kept by God until the culmination of our salvation that when it is realized. Now, I personally have a concern, especially related to those who de-emphasize perseverance, in favor of a heavy or exclusive emphasis on preservation. And it's easy for us to use the idea of preservation of the saints as a way to diminish the importance and the impact of perseverance. Preservation of the saints is the idea that God protects and keeps his people safe. He keeps them from making shipwreck of their faith. He protects them from the evil one. He causes us to continue in the faith. And this doctrine is true. And it does lay over the top of the doctrine of perseverance, but, it, but if it is not understood properly, or if it replaces the doctrine of perseverance, in other words, if we ignore the scripture that speaks about our obligation and responsibility to continue in the faith and to persevere to the end, I believe you do an injustice to the overall teaching of the Bible. So let me say again, I am not denying the preservation of the saints at all. But what can easily happen is if you promote preservation without perseverance, you move very easily into the category of antinomianism. And I'll explain that. What I'm arguing for is the appropriate balance. The two sides of the same coin, uh, of the same coin kind of an understanding. Because the fact is that the Bible teaches heavily man's responsibility. And yet it also teaches that God is sovereign over and works through the faith and works of men. God keeps us saved by his power and grace, and yet scripture affirms that we hope to hear, well done, good and faithful slave. How do you get a well done if you didn't do anything? Well, you did do something, but it's also God who is working in you, and we'll get to more scriptures on that. And I I think this approach to sanctification, you and I have talked about this before, that we are active participants in it, and there's scripture, it's loaded it's everywhere. I, I can't even deny yourself, humble yourself, examine yourself, discipline yourself. Like it's it's all over the place. And so I don't want to call it a distinctive of ours, but it is right here. It shows up here in, in, in this P. And so it is a distinctive. I think it's something that we uniquely do at Truth Family. Uh, we emphasize the importance of our role versus sitting back and having God quote unquote do you. And so I really appreciate that. I've always been important to me in my walk, and it's so important to building disciples. <laughs> You're actually building disciples. You're building something. And so I, I think this is an important one for us. And as I said earlier, Danny, this is the one I struggled with the most. But once I came to, to fully understand it, it's exactly as you described. It was uh, John MacArthur's sermon on the twin parallel truths, as I call them. You've got his sovereignty, but man's responsibility. That's right. 
always in parallel, never intersecting in scripture. And a mystery we'll find out when we get to heaven. That's but right. the mysteries don't mean we don't have indications. We've got rewards. We've got favor. We've got plenty of scripture to support it. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it turns out the call to obedience is a real call. It's an actual thing. It's not something to where we just ignore it and say, well, God will just make it happen in me. That, that's that's a, a wrong-headed understanding of that. So, yeah, we know that there is reward in heaven. Scripture is clear about that. We're all looking forward to that. There's a Bema seat judgment where the works of the saints are judged. And it is challenging for us to understand, there's no doubt, but we must not shy away from flipping the coin over and over again in order to see what God's Word reveals. Because both things are true. So before we get into several uh, texts that explain the doctrine, I want to explain a few things. Now, I've grown up in dispensational Baptist churches my whole life, and one of the frequent statements that was promoted is the doctrine that was referred to as once saved, always saved. In one Baptist church we attended for a number of years when I was a teenager, the pastor would say things like, and this is a close quote, there is nothing you can do to lose your salvation. And he would say things like this, you could live like the devil during the week. Now, you'd be dumb as a bucket of rocks if you did. That was his phrase. You'd be dumb as a bucket of rocks if you did that. But you cannot lose your salvation, So, which is a really bold statement. You can live like the devil and go to heaven because you can't lose your salvation. Once you said the magic words, once you prayed the sinner's prayer, then you were in and, and there was nothing you could do to get yourself out of it. And when you combine that with a small gospel, with an easy believism, with a non-lordship message, which it clearly was, with a decisionistic altar call, pray the sinner's prayer version of Christianity, you actually get very good at making false converts. And in your heavy emphasis on preservation, you end up denying perseverance. Does that make sense? Because you'll hear people say that they believe in the preservation of the saints, and thereby they mean a once saved, always saved doctrine. And I don't believe those are the same things. I would say that I don't believe in once saved, always saved, not because I believe you can lose your salvation, you can't, but because I believe in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, which includes the understanding of the preservation of the saints. You have to have both ideas married together so that they are a kind of a one flesh doctrine. Two truths making up one whole doctrine. Yeah, such a scary statement too, because it leads to justification of your sin. And, you know, Paul warns us about that in Romans, but it, it actually leads you to a behavior of it's okay to sin. And that's, a, that's obviously not okay. And so, you know, that's a very weak, like you said, it's a very weak lordship view. It is. So... I want to elaborate on this even further here. Some of you are familiar with this, and some of you are not. Uh, some of you may recognize it upon having it explained to you. But So once saved, always saved, also referred to as the doctrine of eternal security, is a minimalist doctrine. Now, what I mean by that is a minimalist approach takes a partial truth or part of the truth and treats it as if it is the whole truth. And so the once saved, always saved proponents emphasize that you cannot lose your salvation. And it is especially an emphasis in Arminian churches, which is almost, the irony is, is pretty thick. But it's an emphasis in Arminian churches that emphasize the free will of man and the decision to accept Christ. It is also an emphasis in some Calvinistic light churches that would say that 
they believe in the doctrines of grace, but who don't love them or teach them clearly from the scripture. But the doctrine of eternal security, once saved, always saved, teaches that once you have accepted the truth of the gospel and you've prayed to accept Jesus, then God saves you forever, you become his child, and you cannot then will yourself out of salvation. You can choose to go in, but you can, like the Hotel California, but you can never leave. (laughs) You, You can't actually choose to leave. Once you have reached out and laid hold of the gift of salvation, there's no take backs. You can't change your mind and unsave yourself. You received, you took hold of a gift, you own it, and you can't give it back if you wanted to. And God is not an Indian giver. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't give it to you and then take it back. Once saved, always saved. Now, a side note, some Arminian denominations do believe that you can lose your salvation. And I would say they're a little bit more consistent. Uh, putting another in terms of their view of, uh, of their emphasis on free will. Put another way, you can change your mind and you can reject the gift of Christ in and walk away. Those are Nazarenes and some Methodists would believe that you can sin your way out of salvation and you can apostatize your way out of salvation through unbelief or heresy. And so the call is to be saved for them. It's, it's to call people to be saved again. Uh, once again, they believe that God's grace is resistible. I think about Luther and the number of times he went and asked for confession, like until he truly understood and believed. That's right. That's a picture of what I have here. You're constantly showing up, believing again and again and again, which really isn't belief at that point. Right. So that's true. And so what we're really addressing right now is uh, a different Arminian error that teaches preservation but not perseverance. And usually Arminians and closet Calvinists aren't really dealing in the terminology of preservation. They speak of eternal security. And it gets tricky because we believe in eternal security, but we have to be careful because it gets into error very quickly. Antinomianism, we've talked about antinomianism. Um, often, and will continue to do so. And so what is antinomianism? It means without law or against law or no law. And what antinomianism is, is a belief and attitude of professing believers that de-emphasizes the role of obedience to the commands of Scripture. And it comes from a very small view of the gospel that doesn't see it as a whole concept of justification, sanctification, and glorification. Those are three elements or ingredients of salvation. If you don't see that that trinity there of justification, sanctification, and glorification, then what you normally see is a salvation reduced to justification and glorification. You get the, I I got born, that's when I was justified, and then I'm waiting to be glorified at the very end. So I have my birthday, I get my get out of hell free card, and I use it. Uh, at the very end. That's the the very common view of what this eternal security antinomianism leads to. Uh, they're declared righteous before God, and that person is now in possession of a kind of ticket to heaven. And so that when they die and they reach the pearly gates and they are asking the question, why should I let you in? The answer is given, because when I was blank years old, I prayed the, to receive Jesus as my Savior. I've been holding on to this ticket I received at that time, and now I'm here to cash it in. Uh, and And so on the basis of then my conversion experience alone, I'm then to be granted entrance into heaven. That moment of conversion is then given the promise of eternal security, no matter what happens between the point 
of birth and death. And again, I'll quote my former pastor. You could live, this is what he's talking about, between your birthday and your death date, you could live like the devil. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to uh, uh, walk with God. You don't have to obey. You could live like the devil. You'd be dumb because it's just not good for you, but you could do it and you would still go to heaven. Why would he say something like that? Because he knows no person is justified by works of the law. That's correct. No person is justified by any works of righteousness which he has done. Correct. It is by grace that you are saved through faith. Correct. And because he believes, though, in the doctrine of eternal security, he knows that there are scriptures that speak of God's continuing grace, his protecting grace, his preserving grace. He believes those things. And so, again, this is that partialism, taking part of the truth and then making it the whole thing. Since salvation is about justification and glorification, then that middle part of sanctification is left out. That whole is filled with what we refer to as antinomianism, or perhaps, put it maybe another way, that whole is not filled with anything. Yeah, I would say that's a very unloving God. Can, can you imagine you're saved and then you're glorified, but, you know, it's back to the, now what? How do we live in this day and age? And, and it's so scripturally weak that that's not the case. You know, he's given us scripture for a specific reason for all of life and godliness. We, we necessarily don't need it when, when we're glorified. Mm-hmm. We will have it because it is his word and it's eternal. But in essence, it's, it's necessary and useful here and now. Like, that's the whole that's right. reason it's there. Saved us to what? <laughs> to what? And, and it's a very small view just to say he saved us for heaven. Right. But he, we would say that, no, he saved us for a life in him now as we prepare ourselves for eternity, that he's given us good works to do. Right. So, Jim, this, this month, of course, we're recording this in, uh, during Pride Month 2023. And I've spoken to somebody. This is not a distant issue of my teenage past, as a, for instance. I've spoken to somebody in our church who has come to our church after a while back having left another church. And one of the primary reasons for leaving that church was in wrestling with and talking to the pastor about a family member who had got involved in the homosexual lifestyle that um, but this person perhaps had made a you know profession of faith at one point they prayed the sinner's prayer they did all these things and this pastor communicated that uh, that, that they believed that even though they are practicing a homosexual a lifestyle that they would still uh, go to heaven if they had prayed to receive Jesus as a child, as a for instance. And it, it was clearly this type of eternal security doctrine that was being promoted. If, if they prayed the prayer, it, since you can't sin your way out of salvation, then even if you do the worst of sins and, and you are committed to a lifestyle, even if you, re- even if you rejected Jesus by your, by your mouth, well, if you but if you received him at one point, you're in and you can never get out of it because you're secure. You you can't lose your salvation. That's the beat. That's the the drum beat. Think about the emphasis on your congregation and even your family. The the uh, the sense of urgency to get that child to pray that prayer All no right. matter what. That's right. Like your whole emphasis wouldn't be about God and His love. It would be just about getting those words out of His mouth. 
Like that is just astonishing. And then, and then once it occurs, you just sit back and wait. Well, <laughs> it's this, whew. I, I know. And Johnny's and, going to heaven. And so many parents try to, they have to try to, they have to really talk themselves into a, a, a hope and belief that they're, that they're wandering child who is who is living a pagan life who has rejected Christ and is living a sinful life is somehow still going to go to heaven uh it, it be, because you know back then they said those magic words it's worse than that Danny because then they don't have a lordship view and they don't tell them the truth yes. they are living in sin and not only living in sin they are pridefully this month pride is a sin right. it's it's not only is the gay lifestyle a sin they're sinners they're proud in it. Like that is the scripture and the judgment that comes on the proud and the sin is numerous and scary. And and that's my whole point of stay out of the way of that. Like you know, tell them the truth, but man, oh man, well, do it, not enable that. Well, and that's the thing. It, it, it justifies their acceptance of their, of their child who is rebellious and in, and in sin and, and is hating God. Right. Because, well, I just have to trust that I have to trust in that experience that they had as a five-year-old when they said when they just innocently prayed to receive Jesus, and that's where they stake, stakes their hope, and, and then therefore, like you were pointing out, it it diminishes a conviction and a and an actual truth telling uh, of continuing to shepherd and care for their children. And just a side note on that, just real quick, and this is important: is I had a man come to me, and his son had decided that he was gay; he was sinning, and it was the same thing, Danny. Is he a believer or not? And I remember counseling this man, the importance of, of discerning and using wisdom and deciding, is my son a believer or not, is so important in your approach as a parent to how you treat that. It's two completely different approaches mm -hmm. and so important for us to use wisdom when we're dealing with that. No, it's very true. So, and so this issue of understanding what salvation is, when you see it as, as justification sanctification and glorification if you don't have that sanctification part then then you you need that's part of what the scripture talks about in examining ourselves and talking about fruit and we'll get into some text here in a little bit but if you don't have that sanctification going on then you have to look back and go it doesn't appear that there is a justification so uh, uh, using this analogy of having a hole in the middle it's like a raspberry jelly-filled donut from Scotty's when you forget to put the jelly in it. Without sanctification, you have a giant hole, a big pocket of nothing. You just have air in the middle. And, and that's what happens with the Arminian position of eternal security. You have justification and glorification with a big pocket of air in the middle while you beat the drum of eternal security, once saved, always saved. And what you have there is a recipe for false conversions a recipe of an unbiblical approach to the assurance of salvation. You're giving assurance to people that they're saved uh, through a truncated gospel, a weak view of lordship, and a pathetic view of sanctification. And that's a dangerous thing to do. And that's an important element that we want to highlight here, is we ought not to be giving people who should have no assurance of salvation an assurance that they're saved. Uh, that's an important thing. And so for my money, I think we should be promoting the original Reformed title of the doctrine, which is the perseverance of the saints. And we'll, we, will, we will then weave into that doctrine, of course, God's preservation of the saints as well. So let's look at some passages that look at this doctrine from both 
the perseverance side and the preservation side. Some of those passages have them together, which is a wonderful thing to see both truths side by side, uh, held perfectly in tension, not explaining them away. They're just right together. And I, I believe that we need both of these types of passages to ground our assurance of salvation properly in what God has for us to believe and to do. The first passage I want to look at is probably my favorite on the topic, and that is Philippians 2, 12 and 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And if we stop right there, we recognize this is a command to the, the readers. This is a command to the church, to people to, to, to be active, to exercise and work your salvation out with fear and trembling. This is your responsibility. This is a command. Go do this. For knowing at the same time, it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so really what we're recognizing here is that uh, God has his ordinary means of calling us to be responsible for obeying, of being faithful, and all these things. But what we need to understand in that, um, in that doing, in that obeying, is that that is the Spirit working through our obedience, that God is working in us to bring this about. And so it reminds me once again that there is no boasting in Christianity. Uh, God gets all the glory. And so as we obey, he is glorified. Why? Because he is the one who is working it in us. And so it, you have a responsibility. God is at work. Those things are both true at the same time. Another passage, a little lengthier one, I'll, I want to read it for us because I think it's so seminal to the topic. It's uh, John 15, verses 1 through 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. This is Jesus speaking. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word, um, or, or pruned would be another one. Uh, you are already pruned because of the word which I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in, abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full." And so here in this passage, there is this talk about abiding, and that's a command. That's a responsibility that we have to remain in the faith, to remain in Christ, to hold fast to our salvation in Christ, and, and meaning that is our responsibility. Uh, if you don't abide, then you will be cut off. That's the, that's the language here. Persevere. Remain. That's what abide means, really. It's to remain. And so if you remain in the faith and you bear fruit, 
that is that is the will of the Lord for you in your life. That is a call to perseverance. That is a call to stay. Don't leave. D- don't reject Christ. Rather, remain. And, and that's the, the call of Scripture is for us to persevere. And so there's a number of other things that we notice here. Notice in this passage that there's a lot of branches that are connected to Christ. Uh, this is a picture of people who have made some profession of attachment, some expression of faith, some people even who are in our local churches. Some allegiance is given to Christ and his church, but notice that it is possible to be connected to Christ, but to not have genuine spiritual life. The branches that don't bear fruit are removed. They're not remaining. They don't have their life continuing in Christ. His word is not in them. God the Father has them removed. You will not sneak your way into heaven. You'll not barely just get in. You will not get into heaven without fruit. And what is fruit? It is stated explicitly in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. That's explicit. Jesus calls it, um, Jesus' call is to abide in him. Uh, that is, we are to remain in him and to see him as the source of your life and your hope. And so abiding includes closeness. It includes love and devotion. And if you love Christ and are devoted to him, then the call is bear fruit of that life that is joined to him, keep his commandments, obey the Lord. But the warning is also built into this text, that if you are not a producer of fruit, that is, if you are all about justification and glorification, without abiding in Christ and bearing fruit in sanctification, then you will be cut off and removed from the vine. See, if you don't have sanctification, Jim, you actually don't have what you think you have. You have you, you are a branch, but you're a branch that's going to be cut off. You, will, you, you have to remain and bear fruit. That's the picture of sanctification. And so in this context, again, the idea of preservation, excuse me, perseverance, is in the bearing of fruit. The bearing of fruit demonstrates that you're a disciple, which is a person who is saved and awaiting glorification. Bearing fruit means you continue to be connected to the vine, and your obedience demonstrates that God's love abides in you. A couple more passages here. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, it says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. There's an if clause here. If we hold fast our confidence and boast of our hope firm until the end. Our boasting is in Christ. If we maintain our hope and our boasting in Christ firm until the end, then we have the hope of eternal in um, eternity with God. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 19, it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any of any one of you, so talking to people who are in the, in the church, those who profess, make sure there's not any of you uh, an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. Once again, this this, this statement regarding to the end, that you remain, that you uh, keep it firm until the end. Um, And it says in verse 15, while it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, 
For who provoked him when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And so again, this idea of if you must continue in your belief, you must continue because if you are, are, are not one who remains, if you don't persevere, then you won't have that glorification that you think you're going to have. I love 1 Corinthians 10, 13, and I'll share it. It's not obvious, but it's a great one for memorization. It's no temptation is overtaking you, but just a common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. And the beautiful picture there is every single temptation that we have during every single day, the Holy Spirit is there providing a way. Our job is to grasp that in obedience and take that door. And yet you see the work of preservation alongside. Right. Yep. Oh, that's a beautiful. Yeah, and here's some more preservation passage. So those are, are some a little bit have both ideas together. Some yeah. have the idea of perseverance in a stronger, uh, a stronger sense. Here's some passages now that have a strong sense of preservation. John chapter 10, verses 27 through 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. What a great promise that, uh, that there is nothing that will happen that, that leads us out of our security, our, our safety in our salvation in, in, in Christ. Uh, God keeps his own. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-5 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It is reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a That's one of my favorite passages also on the subject of preservation, that when we are saved, we have an inheritance that is laid up for us, and that inheritance is being protected for us, just waiting for us as God protects us by his power through faith. We, we, we continue in faith, and that's God preserving and protecting us by his power for a future salvation that is to be revealed. Yeah, and your next one's going to hit on a great one. Back when I used to have a life verse, back when I was in Big Eva churches and they asked you what your favorite verse was, this was my favorite. Today, mine is in the beginning to amen. It's the whole Bible. That's, that's, <laughs> that's my whole new life verse is the whole thing. But this Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30 used to be my life verse. And so uh, it's a beautiful piece of scripture. Well, then well, let's so, let you read it. Yeah, for, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these who he justified, he also glorified. If you don't see justification, sanctification, and glorification in that scripture, please reread it or pick a different version because it's such a beautiful picture and it's there. And I see perseverance there too, Danny, as well as preservation. This idea of 
being conformed to the image of Christ. Well, mm-hmm. once we are done, once we are complete in the image of Christ, we are glorified. And so when when we complete that last good works that God has identified for us before the beginning of time, we are called home in, in an instance. So what happens is that that being conformed happens over time. And it's little by little. It's every day. And you've heard me say this at the end of the day, at the end of today, I am either through my obedience and the Holy Spirit guiding me in grace a little bit more like Christ or a little bit more like the devil. There's no neutrality in this. Mm-hmm. And I love the way Paul brings this forward in the past tense. Uh, predestined, well, we could look at that. that. That certainly makes sense to us. Called, uh, but then justified and glorified. This idea of glorification is, is also as good as done because he's done it all and it's all planned and it's all purpose for us and it's all within his power to keep us for himself. So there's a security, there's a rest, there's a an assurance that we yeah. can have. Um, but it's it's one where we also continue to to be called to examine yourself, to obey, to remain, abide, all these things. And we see that through that, once again, Jim, we keep harping on the idea of the value of ordinary means. How do you maintain an assurance of salvation? Through the ordinary means of grace. It is through the scripture, through the word of God uh, dwelling in you richly. It is through your your obedience as you see God working in you, having changed you and conforming you into the image of Christ. Uh, th- there isn't a shortcut. There isn't a, a magic uh, thing that happens. It is through the ordinary means that God is working to keep us for himself. Yeah, we talk God's word, the Holy Spirit, and God working through men, both evil men being tested and good men giving us wisdom that's biblical. Well, and we're just scratching the surface here on all of these things. Uh, this doctrine is not fringy. <laughs> it is all over the place, and we love these doctrines of grace, and we will continue throughout our ministry to highlight them and to call them out whenever we see them because we believe that they give us strength and confidence. We believe that they glorify God in their teaching. And so uh, something for us to consider and something for you to rejoice in and to continue to stretch yourself in studying and thinking, meditating on these things and learning how to uh, think and how to glorify God in our lives. Well, that's all the time that we have for Truth Today. We want to thank you for joining us. And until next time, we hope that you will grow in your love and commitment to Christ and His Church. As we are sanctified in the truth, God's Word is truth.